The Money Show. Shapeshifters. So I'm finding it hard to describe my next guest because everything I see about him uses terms that I don't understand. So I think I have translated the terms into English. Richard Sutton is a health guru. He's consulted to athletes and sports teams all over the world and now does a growing amount of work on the speaking circuit of the corporate sector, helping companies with high-powered executives lead healthier and more productive lives. How was that, Richard? I think that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, phenomenal. I couldn't have said it better myself. Okay, just checking because you use big and convoluted, uh, convoluted language or your PR people use big and convoluted language, which makes me go, what does this guy actually do? Um, how do you, how do you start out on this path? Because, um, when I look at some of the stuff, you're a clinically trained neurovascular practitioner with a background in biokinesiology. Okay. Um, so how does that journey begin? Well, the journey begins with a passion, I think, like most journeys. And the passion was to make a difference to a group of individuals that I looked up to, and, and that was professional athletes. Um, and, and fundamentally, the choices I made in terms of what needed to be studied and the work I put in and how much commitments I, I, I threw into the mix was fundamentally based on what their needs were. Could I meet their needs and could I enter that world and make a difference to them on a physical, emotional, and mental level? And, and that's that's really the journey. Okay, but when does it sort of start out? What is your training? What's your background? So my background, I actually kind of started in in the sports uh, in the sports science domain, and, and then I studied kinesiology, which is uh, kind of movement behaviors and and biomechanics, and then I went on to do osteopathy, which is very much kind of joints, and and I did a specialized form, which is is kind of looking at the, the system as a whole. So it's the nervous system and, and and organ systems influence on health and performance and attitudes to life and kind of putting all these sets together and then applying it. Um, it, it turned out to be a, a good model um, in terms of facilitating the performance and the well-being of athletes, individual and athletes team. And, and at one point in my career, um, I became a specialist in being able to turn teams around or individuals around who are going through career slams because of this multifaceted approach, which which starts with the physical. I, I have to say there's a big emphasis on the physical. Um, but the physical then drives the behavioral and the behavioral drives the emotional and, and the mental components. So. So it all kind of connects um, in, in a central point. And, and I think, you know, the question you asked was, you know, what is it exactly you do? Um, what I do is I, I support um, and augment the, the performance of individuals and teams. Yeah. I just, I mean, the, especially when it comes to sport, and I'll get onto the corporate sector stuff in a bit, but when it comes to sport and you're dealing with high performance athletes or people who believe they're past their peak because they're creaking or things are hurting or they've damaged a tendon and they can't perform to the level that they could, if you can get the physical right, it's the first step towards getting the psychology right because you can't fix the psychology until the physical specimen feels it is capable of performing to uh, at least the level it was at a year or two before the injury for example you're so right with that comment is that you know from from the physical a lot of things flow but it's not always in the way that we understand it so when we feel physically empowered whether we physically fit or physically stronger or just overall healthier um it has a profound effect not just on our physical state but our emotional state because of these delicate interplays that exist between the, the brain and the rest of the body and those interplays are driven by 
chemical sets like dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine and a whole bunch of other other neurochemicals, but they're also driven by hormonal means and immune means. So, so I think that for for a lot of people that have understood it, um, whether it's high performers or just trying to manage a family, you, you understand that you're in a, in a better physical, emotional, and, and mental and mental on mental levels or mental states if you have this underpinning fitness and, and wellness and vitality to you. I remember talking to a guy, he worked at the first Rand Group, and he described himself, this is a long time ago, he described himself as the cop doctor uh, to the Proteus. The psychology of performance is so important, that sense of self-belief, not arrogance, not uh, it's a realistic belief. If people are well prepared and they're going into a competition, those that are more mentally prepared for it are going to perform better than those that are in sort of psychological disarray or perhaps have a dysfunctioning team member or they're not gelling properly or whatever the case might be the psychology of teams is you know not it's secondary i suppose to physical competence and prowess but it's as important i think it's you you're right in saying that and for for a number of different reasons and it's not just the individual members and their psychology but it's the collective psychology which is often driven by the captain of the team or or the leader of the group or the ceo or whoever whatever the title is and there's been some very interesting studies, um, fascinating studies, looking at some of the, the highest performing teams in history, who they were, where they came from, what was the definitive factors, what what was the edge that possessed. And, and when the research team, and it was painstaking, the research, when the research team started unpacking and deconstructing, you know, the teams that we would expect um, to be in that list of the 16 most, uh, the greatest teams in history, we we a lot of those teams are Chicago Bulls you know, are some of our Springbok teams and, and, and other teams that have, have achieved greatness and, and tremendous success, funny enough, weren't on the list. They, they almost didn't qualify because the exclusion criteria was, was so high. So what they were looking at was what was the commonality? Was there commonality between the 16 highest performing teams in history, um, sports teams? And it, and it went back to, the I think, the 50s. And what they found as a commonality was it wasn't how much money they threw into the team. It wasn't the the physical aptitudes of, of the players. It wasn't necessarily the, an enrichment in talent, or that's, that's very important. It wasn't a player, a playmaker, a goat, so to speak. Mm. Um, and, and what they discovered, the only commonality was the leader of the team who was creating the psychology, going back to that point, the psychology of the group. And the psychology of the group culminated in the commitments, the commitment it, it took to to train harder, to to invest more time in the tactical and tactical, and everything flowed from there. And it's a powerful message, a powerful message in terms of for leaders, you know, what their influence is. It's we have a profound effect on the people around us more than we actually understand and know. And it's a it's, and it's also an incredible message in, in terms of the strength of psychology, what we believe can culminate in our reality. It's so interesting that so many people who rise to the top of companies are people who uh, have either done well in sport and they've performed well on sports fields because they are high performance individuals. Uh, They tend to be people who are physically strong and physically healthier. If you're physically strong and physically healthier, you're more able to compete um, in a corporate environment at a very high level persistently and consistently over long periods of time. Um, And then when you speak to them, the vast majority of them will use sporting analysis 
analogies um, to demonstrate. Um, and not everybody in the corporate environment relates to those sporting analogies, but I just find it there's interesting commonality um, when we talk about it. Tonight's guest is Richard Sutton, the founder and chief executive at Sutton Health. Uh, he is the author of best-selling books, including The Stress Code, From Surviving to Thriving, and he is also the developer of The Stress Code app. We're going to talk about how you transfer then um, the skills of training five former world number one uh, world number one tennis players springbok rugby captains olympic gold medalists in 2007 uh, china got uh, richard to join them as director of athletic development for the 2008 beijing olympics in order to get people's performance to its absolute optimal how do you take that from sport and that sort of performance into the corporate sector um, and see whether or not you can have a positive impact and just how holistic that impact should be and what difference it makes within the corporate environment in a moment the money show shapeshifters a shapeshifter richard sutton founder and ceo at sutton health so how do you then transfer the teaching that you give to sports people performing in high stress and high performance environments how do you translate that then into a corporate environment where Many of the people with whom you deal will be sports mad, sports obsessed. That helps. Some of them may have been high-performance athletes in the past. Do those skills necessarily correlate with the skills that are required to run a successful enterprise? So, so the, the, the crazy thing is I had this conversation with myself many decades ago is how do I convert the skill set? Because if you choose to work in the world of sport, you choosing to travel 10 months a year, 11 months a year, you're choosing not to have a family life, you're choosing not to be settled and got to a point where, you know, pretty much um, I, I wanted to put the brakes on, on that life and, and start a new chapter for myself. And and coming back to, to South Africa, um, you know, the opportunities um, in professional sports are, have its limitations, but that life will still exist maybe to a lesser extent. Um, in terms of the travel demands, but, but certainly it's, it's a life that, that I had to or wanted to just take a step back from for a period of time. And, um, how it's, how it's evolved was, um, a few friends of mine who had companies, um, asked me to help them with, with different physical challenges they were experiencing, um, just asked me to help them with, uh, certain nutritional and, and certain lifestyle uh, factors that could support them in, in doing what they need to do and, and overcoming uh, the obstacles of their time, which which is a little bit different to now, but but still at the time they were quite significant. And what what happened was an organic flow is, is when I started working with these executives and leaders uh, who were friends of mine initially and it grew into like a, a client base because what I thought was so different, I thought there were two different worlds. I realized it was one and the same. It's, yeah, you've got a group of individuals, athletes who use their bodies in, in order to achieve success in their lives and aspirations and goals. And on the other side, you, you've got a group of individuals who are using their minds to achieve the same things. But the athletes without their minds will not be successful. And the executives without their physical functionality and physical well-being won't be successful either. So the fuse in the middle. But I had a conversation. It was uh, about a, two months ago. A conversation in terms of how do you how do you create a, a high performing individual? And we always we use this word high performance quite quite loosely. And uh, Mara Atoji uh, from the UK team, um, UK rugby team, and the greatest definition in terms of high performance and, and what that means. And if if we look at that word and say like okay I want a high performance business I want a high performance team I want to be a high performance individual what is it and fundamentally it's the actualization of one's fullest potential it's a realization of what we can achieve personally 
company level, team level. And that's great. And a lot of people would want to go that route and some people don't have the appetite for it. But the conversation often gets skewed because a lot of people confuse high performance to elite performance. And elite performance is basically looking at the sector that you're operating in and saying, I don't want to just play there. I want to be the most competitive. I want to have that competitive advantage. I want to dominate that space. And then you're moving to elite performance and then the sacrifices come in. Um, then, then the commitments um, has to go to another level. So there is this distinction. But in this conversation I had about a month or two ago, conversation was, is it skill that brings athletes or teams to, to their fullest potential? Is it the environment they're in, the, the right training, the right facilities, the right, what is it? And throughout my career, I've, I've worked with many juniors who've been extremely talented in the right facilities that haven't amounted to their fullest, uh, fullest potential. And the, the question progressed and, and evolved, and the evolution was fundamentally the differentiator. The differentiator is skills that they, these individuals or teams acquire along the way. And these skills are resiliency skills. So the yeah. ability to see in a challenge or a setback or adversity, the gift that's embedded in it, the ability to motivate ourselves when we're not motivated and find joy and aspiration and hope in the things that we're doing. And I could go on, you know, to another. No, no, but, it, it, but, it, it, but that stuff is absolutely critical because, I mean, even your most astonishing leaders at different times will have off days. They will have off weeks, off months. I think corporate depression is, is very much a real thing, particularly in a dysfunctional environment like we find ourselves in South Africa, where you're not constantly just battling corporate issues and business issues and general the stuff that everybody around the world has to deal with all the time you then got an added layer of complexity uh, that is for many people around the world would be insurmountable they would think to themselves there is no way i would want to work in the chaos of that environment step away um and and we have some remarkable leadership talent in south africa that not only does what's expected of it but goes way beyond that as well and you can't do it unless you are physically robust and emotionally intact very much so and, and like to to your point you know the challenge that leaders are facing today and companies are facing today you've got the global economic factors you've got a decline in productivity you've got uncertainty in the future of jobs and sectors you've got skills instability skill shortage you've got a recalibration work but now here's the issue the issue is that you've got performance targets, you've got professional expectations, you've got stakeholder expectations, you've got fierce competition, you've got to keep reinventing yourself. And then you've got other factors as well. And those other factors are relating to managing a team. You know, mental health, you mentioned mental health. I mean, the latest study I saw, I think it was from Bits, was if you combine depression and anxiety within um, South Africa, you're looking at a, a 43% prevalence. I mean, whether that's accurate or not, it's hard to say, but the message is very clear. It's extremely high, whether it's one in two or one in three individuals. Um, this is this is what we confronted with. And this, we do have these resiliency skills, these skills that have that have created the great athletes of the world, um, the elite athletes of the world. Um, I, I think it's it's very very difficult. And this is where these two worlds ultimately converge. Although they they different environments um, in many respects, um, it's one in the same um, it's one in the same environment in terms of being able to create a positive, successful um, and sustainable and that's a big thing, sustainable outcome Do you find companies more open today than perhaps they were 5-10 years ago to say, we think we have a problem I, I think I as the leader have a problem I'm, I'm struggling 
um, with these issues. I need some backup and support. These are generally A-type individuals. These are individuals who are supposed to be completely bulletproof and resilient. They're judged every single day, not only by the staff who report to them, but their boards of directors to whom they report and their shareholders who, who are constantly diving into them. There's a huge amount of stress, and naturally that's going to help them you know, fray at the edges perhaps. And, and it does, and I think that's you know to to that point and, and what I spoke to earlier. I think that just the, the, the pressure from the top, the pressure from the sides, and the pressure from the bottom is becoming too much for one person. Uh, this leadership role is has has changed vastly, um, and it's it's almost recalibrated um, in many respects. Um, it's now a superhuman role where you, you've got your team's expectation, belief that you've got to manage and, and you've got a psychological contract that existed for 90 years that is completely corroded. So now you've got to reshape the, the corporate environment. And then you've got to ensure success by managing direction and alignments and, and mobilizing your team, connecting to your team. So you've got all these facets converging. and Everything demands output, 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 energy um, and commitment. And so to answer your question to, to you know, what you asked me is, is very much, yes, um, I'm seeing that there, there is a, a massive demand in, in terms of we want to be better. We need support. We, we need to be able to operate, operate more, more, I guess, flexibly in this environment that we find ourselves. And when it comes then to developing programs for teams… Um, uh, in media, it's a very cynical environment. So people sort of go, oh, it's training again, or whatever the case is. Are you finding teams receptive? Are they open to changing mindsets and stuff? Because so much of the old style training of let's go out into the bush and build a bridge and we'll show how we can collaborate and work together, yawn, yawn, yawn stuff, um, I think is, is, is fortunately filed distantly in the past. Um, it's finding ways of making teams believe that the training is going to have a positive influence on them as individuals so that they get something out of it as, as an individual, but also then the collaboration and the teamwork that may ensue from that as well. Uh, so team buying, I think, is central to success. But leadership, leader, a leader driving the process is ultimately the the game changer and and the thing that takes it across the line. But I, I think that um, you, you're right. Um, there is a skepticism. There is a like oh, another two days in in something like this or so whatever it is, whatever that commitment is, and the, the work piles up while they're in these training sessions. But it's not. It's not really. You know, the the, the structure and format has to kind of evolve with the times and. And this is this is I guess this is one of the gifts that sport gave me in in, in looking at it quite quite objectively, saying that okay, what what are the three parts um, to raising the level and raising the ambition of a team? And the first is self development. You got to start with self. If you can't improve self, um, you can't move forward. And and with that is if you can't cope with your stress, nothing flows or emanates from that. So starting with stress strategy and then. And then moving towards the resilience, knowing that the future is uncertain and unpredictable and, and there are challenges and it's, and it's fast and it's rapid. And knowing that you, you're going to feel overwhelmed, you've got to develop these skills that are going to help you navigate. And there are other kind of personal competencies that are very important. But the, 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 I think the, the critical factor is then to shift from self to other. 
And once we start moving to others, saying that as, as a member of the team, how can I transform the environment? How can I share my leadership responsibility? How can I align to the social identity? And when you start fusing this personal with this team dynamic, um, that's where, that's where this, this growth and the evolution, um, of one of the group and to the buying of the individual comes in. But there's a final piece. And I think that's, it's also an important factor. And, and this is an important factor in that it's not just about feeling good for the day or feeling good for three days. And I'm a bit more motivated. Motivation and inspiration is fleeting. It's about the skills that you need now in order to be more successful tomorrow. And, and that's, you've got to look at role mastery. What is, what is this new reality that we're leading in? What is this new reality we're operating? Do we understand it well enough in order to be effective? And it's going to change. Then at the same time, we've got a lot of potential in this group, but how do we convert potential to performance? And then the final piece is how do we sustain inspiration? Because we're not, inspiration is so central to, to success in, in sport, in, in every facet of life. How do we sustain inspiration? And the answer to that question, I'm going to make it like kind of give a giveaway the, the gamut all, but the answer is we have to become quite inspirational in order to sustain our own mm-hmm. levels of inspiration. Um, so, so if you kind of put all these pieces together, it's like a puzzle and you go through this journey and you're evolving and you're accountable for the acquisition and application of the skills. I think, th- I think that the, the rolling eyes and, and the yawns and, and the reluctance does, does fade and disappear and it, and it becomes a very empowering journey for all involved. Fantastic. Richard, thank you very much indeed. Richard Sutton is the founder and chief executive at Sutton Health. He helps teams perform better.